Well, welcome to QAV. This is uh, Cameron. I'm recording this on Monday, the 4th of January, 2021. We made it. We made it through, if you're listening to this, I guess. Anyway, you made it through 2020. Congratulations. Um, Now, this isn't the first episode of our season four. We were going to do that today, but then Tony asked me if he could have another week off. Now, I did think about firing him. Uh, or docking his pay until I realised uh, A, I don't pay him and B, there is no show without Tony because honestly, no one cares what I think for good reason, I don't know anything so um, I granted Tony, benevolently granted Tony another week off and um, in the meantime, what I thought I'd do is go through the episodes from 2020 and just pick what I think some of the highlights uh, were over the course of the year and we'll go right back before COVID was on the radar and um, then sort of pick up bits and pieces throughout the year. So I hope you'll enjoy this. A bit of a recap for for folks that are new. You may not have heard all of these episodes uh, yet. So give you a sneak peek of what you have to look forward to when you go back through the archives. Fox has just walked into my office (laughs) and he's standing behind me, poking me in the back while I'm recording this. I don't know why. But anyway, that's my life. Well, I guess we've all had a taste of what working from home is like with kids this year. Uh, thank you. Bye. <laughs> so I'm going to start off with going right back to the beginning of 2020, our first episode, season two, episode one, first episode of 2020. Tony was then as he is now down at his Cape Shank property. Uh, you can tell that from the particular echoey nature of his voice on this. And I started off that episode by asking him for his predictions for 2020. I wanted to just ask you about, and and I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but let's talk about it anyway. Uh, Beginning of the new year, everyone's doing their predictions for 2020. Uh, Trump is uh, busy assassinating people. Um, that that is have, going to have some impact on the market, I assume. Uh, Tony, what's what's? Do you have predictions for twenty twenty, or uh, you just stay out of it? Yeah, just stay out of it. If anyone ever pushes me for what I think the share price or the share market will do this year, I always say it'll go up ten percent, which is the long term average. Uh, that's that's yeah, you can. Over time, that's what it does. So that's what you can really predict. But it might go down 5% or it might go up 15% this year. Who knows? It'll either go up or it'll go down. Uh, (laughs) One of those two this year. (laughs) Yeah, but that, but that's, that's a, like, it's, it's a trite sort of line, but it's, it's a really important one. And it highlights the fact that you're better off being in the market all the time rather than trying to pick the ups and downs and trying to predict it. It's time in the market, not timing the market that's important. And look, it's a question I've been mulling over in my mind too, and it's it's human nature, but you, you just read out the QAV checklist uh, portfolio performance, and I ruled off on my own portfolio for the six months for the financial half rather than I don't do it quarterly, but I do it every six months. And uh, my portfolio is up 19.1%, uh, something like that. And the all, all odds accumulation was up, I think, 3.2 or something like that for the six months. Uh, and given I'm trying to average 19.5, the question is, do I sell everything and go away and come back next year? Because I've just about met the target already. Uh, and of course, the answer is no, because you just don't like this. This could be the next six months could add another 10 or 20% to the 
portfolio and then you've missed out on a big increase and if you go back in in the second half of the year and the market goes down well you've you've stuffed it all up so even though human nature is to protect protect the lead um you don't do it you just stay in the market well, the All Ords didn't go up by 10%, obviously, <laughs> due to things that uh, none of us could have foreseen back then. But uh, I did put out our end-of-year numbers uh, beginning of the year a couple of days ago. Uh, for the calendar year, the QAP- QAV portfolio was up 14.83%, and the All Ords Total Accumulation Index, the XAOA, for those of you that are new, that's the All Ordinaries uh, plus the dividends that those stocks attracted over the course of the year was up 3.64%. So QAV was up 14.83, All Ords up 3.64. So we outperformed the All Ords Total Accumulation Index by uh, it's about 3.8 times, roughly four times. Uh, not bad, um, can, all things considered. And... As Tony pointed out, the key thing was that we stayed in the market all year long. I don't know if he would have done better if he'd gotten out (laughs) when he said and just sat there. I'm not sure what his final year results were, but obviously the market had huge gains after the COVID cough in March and April. And uh, yeah, I'm sure anyone who was active in the market and made good decisions had a really good last six months of the year made up for the couple of months at the beginning of the year when everything tanked. This next clip is from the same episode where a few people have been asking what Tony thought about Fortescue Metals Group. Uh, For those of you that followed along during the year, you'll know that FMG was by far our best performer in our portfolio in the end. Stellar performer, I think. uh, The first trench that we bought of it is up 220% roughly since we acquired it late in 2019. We bought a second trench of it I think um, I don't know early in uh, 2020 that also did very well but people had some questions because the iron ore price was going down at the beginning of the year and um, Tony had a few things to say about that people had asked us questions in the past about whether we whether I still felt comfortable being invested in say Fortescue Metals Group which is an iron ore miner given that the iron ore price was starting to decline a little bit and likewise we've had similar questions about coal and other commodities that we're invested in. And I just wanted to share one thing that people can do that might give them some comfort about being invested in commodities companies, and that is to go to uh, a website that tracks the price of commodities, and and one that springs to mind is called Index Mundi, so I-N-D-E-X-M-U-N-D-I.com, and just go to their, as we always do, a five-year monthly graph and look at the three-point trend lines for a particular commodity. So you can do coal, you can do gold, you can do iron ore, all those kinds of things. And last time I checked, they're all in a three-point trend up upturns. So they're all trending upwards on a, on a, using our normal three-point trend line analysis. And that that's I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't buy something if it wasn't if I I wouldn't I'm not saying I wouldn't buy say Fortescue Metals Group if the iron ore price was trending down in terms of a three-point trend line. Uh, but chances are Fortescue Metals Group would be as well, and therefore I wouldn't be buying it, if that makes sense. Uh, so oftentimes when that, when our companies in those commodities areas are going up, it's because the underlying commodities are. And even though there's lots of noise in the market and commodities can bounce around a lot, if people 
seek comfort from the fact that they're doing the right thing, then go and have a look at the long-term commodities trend graphs for the underlying commodities. And generally, they're also going up too. And those of you that were listening towards the end of 2020 may remember that Tony was looking at Index Mundi again and noticed that the copper and aluminium prices were starting to rise up. And he made a decision that we should add a couple of those sorts of stocks to our portfolio on the basis of the success of FMG. And we added CAA, Capral, which is an aluminium stock, and Copper Mountain, C6C. Uh, they both did very well. We bought them at the end of October. Capral CAA is currently up 22%, and C6C is up 60%, well, 59.13% since we bought them. So, uh, yeah, again, good decisions and good insights from Tony there. Well, this next clip is from episode 205, recorded early February, about a month after the last one that we heard. The uh, market had started to feel the impact of coronavirus in China hadn't yet spread to the rest of the world. And Tony and I had a chat about uh, how he handles market corrections. What's what's your mindset? Where, where, where are you at? Are you panicking? Are you are you getting ready to once the Brazilian ladies have finished cleaning your windows this morning? Are you getting ready to getting ready to to jump, Tony? Not at all. No, uh, no it's uh, it's it's a you know it's the old saying about being alert, not alarmed. Uh, it's uh, yeah, you focus on the market in these times of uncertainty, but you don't get alarmed because if if it does drop, if there's a huge correction, that's a chance to buy. And uh, I'm looking at the at our stocks now, particularly stocks like Qantas, which are the most exposed. If they do happen to drop below their three-point trend lines, then I'll sell them and look to buy them later. Uh, but at this stage, well, last time I looked, I haven't looked today, but last time I looked, Qantas was still above the three-point trend line. Uh, yeah, so that's what I use to, to guide myself in this kind of correction. Just just use the, the sentiment graph uh, as a test to see whether people are selling out holeless bolus or whether there's some selling, but it's not strong. Right. I'm doing and look, if there is a correction, it's like it's it's you know it's that old saying: it's fresh meat. It's rub your hands and and get a hold of all the cash you can and buy in. Right. Mm. And uh, just you know, you mentioned the three point trend line there. That's your policy with all of these stocks, even though Qantas is obviously, I guess. It's not really confession season, but they obviously uh, saying, well, this is going to have a dramatic impact on our revenues for the year. When I don't we think analyze- have said that. Oh, really? All right. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, Somebody said out- that. <laughs> okay. They came out uh, well, towards the end of last week and said it would have an impact, but at this stage it was manageable. Right. But still going to have an impact on their financials, their projections for the year. Surely. Well, it will, uh, but uh, well, I don't have the, the release in front of me, but it wasn't, they weren't overly concerned. I, I don't think right. Qantas has a big, has a big uh, business in China, really. They'd have some flights in there, but compared to everything else going on around the world, uh, it, it would be a small percentage. And, and don't forget the international carrier business for Qantas is about one-third of the revenue and it's an even smaller percentage of sales. So... Uh, yeah, the, I wasn't. I wasn't at all alarmed when I read the Qantas press release. I can't recall the details, and they're obviously saying there'd be some kind of impact. 
but it wasn't going to be huge. So the share price has come back 10%, but, yep. um, but based on nothing really that Qantas has said, this is just the market panicking? Correct. It's just speculation. And look, you know, the market, it could drop a lot more if uh, if suddenly the whole world goes into lockdown and, and, you, and international travel's put on hold indefinitely. For sure, Qantas will have a hit. Uh, but that, we're not at that stage yet. So your policy with the portfolio in times like this is all based around just keeping an eye on the three-point trend line? Yeah, I'm, I'm still reading the Fin Review every day and seeing if there's any particular announcements that you might be concerned with. Um, but, yeah, looking at the three-point trend line and, and eagerly waiting for the uh, results to come out as well. And I would expect that Qantas, companies as big as Qantas would give us a good guidance as, as to what they expect will happen because of the impact on um, of coronavirus and, and potentially the bushfires. I, I'm not sure how much that would impact their business, but it might if people are... Uh, if people aren't travelling as much in Australia as well, that, that will have an impact. But at this stage, they haven't come out as a confession and said, look, we're going to take a big hit. Well, of course, Qantas did come out not too long after that and say they were going to take a big hit as the full extent of the pandemic started to become clear. And uh, we haven't bought back into Qantas yet. Uh, I guess it's still a little bit uncertain what's going to happen in 2021. We'll see how it plays out. But we replaced Qantas. We sold when they breached their three-point trend line sell line. And uh, we bought other things, which performed well, most of them, um, over that last uh, half of the year. But I think it's interesting just to go back and hear how Tony was approaching the correction at the beginning of it. As you would have seen throughout the course of the year, there are simple rules with QAV about when to buy and when to sell. And for me, it was a terrific opportunity this year to see that in practice during a correction that Tony didn't flinch, just followed the rules and stayed calm and traded throughout it and uh, got a great result at the end of the year by just following a set of simple rules. Towards the end of February, in episode 208, again, we talked about how Tony deals with corrections. Mm-hmm. But when it, when it goes, when things like coronavirus hits or trade wars or whatever, you know, you're not lying awake at night worrying about it. No. Oh, God, no. Not at all. I'm out on the golf course playing golf. I'm more worried about my golf swing than I am about uh, my share portfolio. <laughs> Again, because you've seen these things happen every year for decades, mm-hmm. and you know that if you if the if if you're obeying the the principles of QAV, the fundamentals, you're buying good quality companies. That long term, they will come good. Yeah, and also too, I mean, don't look at the noise. Look at the market. So. But one of the strange things I think about share markets around the world in this low interest rate environment is they keep on going up, even though there's lots of noise about viruses and trade wars and all sorts of things. You know, the ASX is still going up. I kind of scratch my head and and wonder why, but it's clearly being fueled by low interest rates and, and easy access to money. So that will come home to roost at some stage, but until it does, you just ride it out. Yeah. All right. Yeah, again, you can't do much about it. <clears throat> there's a lot of people who are trying to make a rep- their reputations by saying, oh, there's a crash coming because of the low interest rate environment, but uh, they can cry wolf for a long time before that happens. And uh, they're sitting on cash and 
missing out last year on a 20% rise in just the index, let alone, you know, what a bit of um, smart investment can get you. Yeah. Uh, and that, that may well happen for the next three, four, five years. Who knows? Or it may, may be all over in six months. But <clears throat> the three-point trend lines will tell us about that. We don't need to listen to the noise to, to work that out. Well, a week later, when we were recording episode 209, early March, uh, the market had already started to go straight into COVID cough mode, and we started talking about what you do when all of the stocks that you're looking at buying fail on sentiment. I did a filter, then I stack ranked them by price to cash, mm-hmm. um, exported the ones that were less than seven. Um, started going through the checklist and I did about four or five and they all immediately failed on sentiment because everything's crashing. Yeah. So so the first question I had for you, and we've got a lot of questions from people last week, obviously, about uh, three-point trend lines. Um, mm. But uh, are you – like when there's a massive downturn like this, when the vast majority of stocks, I'm assuming, are in free fall and they're gonna, their chart's going to look like shit – Mm-hmm. Um, do you still obey the go no go rule on sentiment in a massive sell off like this? Absolutely. So, right. I, I mean, I like to stay fully invested. So, this is how I cash up to buy later. When the when the shares fall past their sentiment lines, that gives me the cash to reinvest because I think the market's going to fall even further. Right. Yeah. You- and and even if it doesn't fall further, we've now got to watch. List that or my watch list now has what uh, 40 or 50 stocks on it that failed sentiment. So even if the market turns around this week, we can just jump straight back in with the cash we've got sitting there on the sidelines and ride it back up. So that's kind of the uh, it's an interesting point you raise. And it was something I thought of after we had the interview with Roger Montgomery when he was quite correctly pointing out that we're probably going to have a correction at some stage in the next 12 months because the market's getting a bit overvalued and the economy's looking fragile, et cetera. And uh, he was quite prescient with that. Uh, and, and therefore, he likes to sit on, I think he said something like 25% cash, 20 to 30% cash, which he'll now start deploying. I, I, I listened to an interview he did at the end of last week where he, he was talking about being cashed up and starting to look for, for bargains. Uh, I don't do that in in such a disciplined fashion along the way because that 25% of cash is going to reduce my returns along the way. So uh, instead of getting 19.5%, you're getting three quarters of that if you're sitting on 25% cash because only 75% of your portfolio is invested, right? And the rest is earning sort of 1% if if you're lucky. Uh, And I'd rather take that extra 25% of returns along the way and then use my my sentiment uh, go no go as a way of raising cash when the market starts to turn down so it's almost like a three-step process stay fully invested if the market turns down significantly then we sell out raise some cash and we wait for it to go further and then we reinvest when uh, the companies start to you know retrace or start to establish three-point uptrends and that could happen this week or it may it may keep going down further on I think anybody who tries to forecast what's going to happen now is going to be is going to wind up with egg on their face. They're mostly going to be wrong uh, because it's just uh, we're in, un- in uncharted territory. I mean, the Reserve Bank is meant to meant to meet tomorrow. We're, we're recording this on Monday, the second of March, third of March. They meant to meet. I think the chances of them lowering interest rates are now rated at something like uh, eighty-five or ninety percent by the market. 
but I'm not sure that's going to help. That might give us a, a short-term uptick in the market. But if, if coronavirus has the effect that people seem to think it will, uh, then China's going to come off the boil and that's going to affect our economy hard because we, I mean, they're one of our biggest customers, we export to them. So that's going to hurt us regardless of where interest rates are. If we can't export, that's going to be bad. So uh, interest rates may go down. They may, that may not help the market go up. It, it might. I don't know. We'll see what happens during the week. Kind of funny listening to Tony talk about our exports to China being an important component of our economy. Uh, somebody should have told Scott Morrison that. Uh, he, he may have handled things a little bit differently in uh, the latter part of the year. Anyway, uh, good to go back, I think, and just hear Tony talk through his strategy for uh, cashing up and getting ready to buy back in, as we in fact did. And a week later, episode 210, I started the episode like this. Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> How are you? Feels a little bit like Vietnam out there at the moment, Tony. I'm good. It's a hot and sweaty up there, is it? Which is nice if you're with a lady, but it's not good when you're in the jungle <laughs> or something like that, as the line goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so it's nice, down, nice down here in Sydney. Good to be back. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I uh, just got back from Melbourne. Yeah, how'd it go? Went great, thanks, Tony. Yeah, oh, first screening good. of the film, uh, and uh, yeah, it was yeah. Everyone seemed to love it. Yeah. Um, let's get into uh, more important matters: uh, the stock market, Tony. I don't know <laughs> if you've I don't know if you've seen, but it's been in the news a bit lately. <laughs> it has a bit, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm oh, just I, I, I tell you what like this is my first I mean I, I'm, I'm nearly 50 so it's not my first uh, market correction that I've lived through or my first bear market or uh, soon to be not my first recession but it's the first one where I've actually been you know actively involved in paying attention really to at this sort of level and the thing that amazes me is it, it only seems like a month ago that every it was boom times. Everyone mm. was telling us it was going to go on forever because interest rates mm. were low, and you know this was uh, times of glory. Uh, this time it's different. This time it's different. <laughs> interest rates are low, Tony. You don't yeah. understand. This is going to continue. Everything's being disrupted. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> how Mother Nature's shown us she's the great disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold, Mother Nature said, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> hold my corona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. So then Tony talked about how he thought we were going into a recession and I asked him, I mean, how does a recession affect your investing strategy, Tony? Well, it doesn't change. I mean, that's... that's uh... You're so boring, Tony. I know. <laughs> I've had... I'm glad to be a boring investor. I really am because uh, times <laughs> like these when it's, you know, as Buffett says, investing is, you know, 90% sitting on your hands. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what we're doing at the moment. 
we we're not necessarily buying yet although i think there's a couple of false starts that i've had over the last week in a very small way and i'll, I'll declare that uh, when, when i did the analysis which i think we shared on last week's episode about the most undervalued top 10 stock i did buy some rio tinto tinto but that was short-lived because it started to go down again and breached its three-point trend line so i sold it so there'll probably be events like that happening in the short while but largely like in our qav portfolio i'm raising cash as as shares cross their three-point trend lines. And I'll, I'll wait for clear evidence that they're in the three-point uptrend before I buy back into them. Mm. I've had a lot of emails from subscribers, new and old, saying, uh, you know, I'm, you know, what's, what's Tony going to do now? And, uh, you know, my standard reply is, uh, well, I think it just does what he always does. Like, there's no, yeah. cha- no change, <laughs> really. Yeah, exactly. It's, the rules The rules is the rules. Yeah, no, exactly. And the rules are based on experience. So uh, having been through these things before, having been through false starts of these things before, you, you need to stay evidence-based. You can't jump at shadows. Yeah. Um, human beings are not very good forecasting engines. So, you know, some of the questions we've got is, oh, but I think the coronavirus will be short-lived and therefore can I buy now? It's like, if you want, but you know, I'm going to wait for the evidence to unroll before I start making forecasts. And as I've said many times on the show before, that's one of the things I appreciate most about QAV as an investing methodology is it's rooted firmly in evidence. Tony doesn't care about forecasts. He doesn't listen to what CEOs say. He doesn't listen to what prime ministers say or economists or journalists or commentators or people in internet forums. He just looks at the numbers, listens to the numbers, watches uh, how they play out, looks at the evidence for how companies are performing and uh, makes decisions, investing decisions based on that. It just takes all of the emotion out of it. A simple set of rules that you can follow in boom times, in market corrections and in between times. But speaking of emotion, Tony, in episode 304 that uh, we recorded the beginning of April, Tony talked about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her five stages of grief and how that applies to market psychology. Let me talk a little bit about market psychology as well. Uh, so people may be familiar with the with Kubler-Ross who put together the five stages of, of grief and uh, that that has been used in the past to look at look at how markets work as well because they, they are of course made up of humans. And the, the five stages of grief are denial, anger, depression, bargaining and acceptance. And if, well, let me ask you, where do you think we are in that cycle in terms of how a market's operating at the moment? Uh, denial. Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. Uh, well, I would say uh, bargaining. Oh, okay. I don't think we're that far. I think we're in anger still. <laughs> anger? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we had a lot of denial, and, and Donald Trump was probably the the paragon of denial before uh, things really broke out in the US. Yeah. Now we're having anger. You know, who the hell let that ship dock in the in Sydney last week, and and why hasn't Donald Trump done enough for us? And blah blah blah. And after we've been in lockdown for three or four weeks, we're going to have depression. And then I think we go to bargaining after that. You know, gee, if I just stay in lockdown for another three or four weeks, this thing will pass, and then we'll have acceptance. After everything's beaten out of us, any sort of 
resistance or optimism is beaten out of us, we'll have acceptance. So and you're, that's you're, probably about the time when you buy. You're not buying Donald Trump's, well, everyone's going back to work in two weeks uh, plan oh, now? God, no. no I, don't think, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone's buying that. <laughs> well, Tony is nothing if not uh, humble and willing to always learn. And by the end of April... Despite his feelings that we hadn't yet really seen the bottom of the market, we started buying again. And we had a lot of questions from listeners at the time about why are you doing that if the market's going to go lower. And here's what Tony had to say. Uh, so we, we added, I don't know, five or six stocks to the portfolio in the last couple of weeks. Now, a lot of people are going, well, hold on a second. On one hand, you're saying... This is uh, a dead cat bounce. It's not a true recovery. But so why are you adding stocks? Explain yourself, Kynaston. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, the government tracking me or you foreign questions. <laughs> no, well, I think uh, I've come to the realisation that my, my system for investing is a lot better than my forecasting abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I, I still do believe that we're going to see a lower point in the market going forward because we haven't got all the, well, we haven't got almost any company announcements about how COVID's affecting them. Uh, so come come September, come August, September, when we start analysing company data, we're going to probably, well, again, my forecast is we're going to see some bad numbers. I think when we see the government's budget, which has been pushed back until the uh, towards the end of the year, they're going to have some pretty horrendous numbers. I think when we come out of COVID-19, whenever that is, and companies start to ramp up again and business practices changes and they might decide not to hire on all the same staff numbers they had, that things like unemployment will kick up. So I still think there's, my gut feel is there's still plenty of negative uh, negative waves, negative <laughs> <laughs> negative information to flow through before we've seen the bottom of this. But we have seen a bounce in the market and the market is a forward-looking predictor of things and uh, certainly stocks are cheap at the moment, so we started buying again. So, you know, like I said, I think I think if I look back over the life of this podcast, even some of the predictions I've made have been just rubbish, you know, that... We talked about the yield curve inversion halfway through last year, and I said, you know, economists always forecast nine out of the last seven recessions, um, but this one came to pass when I didn't think it would. So there you go. Um, we, I remember you and I driving around Sydney going to meetings and we were talking about how many COVID cases we thought there'd be in Australia, and and you know we were talking we were talking about a hundred thousand deaths, and there's been eighty eighty odd deaths, so. Yeah, I think I think my forecasting abilities is are pretty bad, but I I know from my track record that following the system is a lot better. So the uh, theory then, if I understand it, is um, we we don't we don't want to forecast. We want to play by the rules. So yes, we we yeah. when the rules and by the rules I mean the the rules of the checklist, the guidelines of the checklist say. Um, the sentiment for a particular stock is positive. Um, the they've they've you know, come out with recent announcements around uh, their financial projections. We've we've analysed the stock based on the the current best known financials and their projections, and it gets a positive QACV score. 
then we buy it regardless of whether or not we think the this is a dead cat bounce or a genuine recovery. And then if it turns down again and, and it breaches mm. the sell three-point line, we sell it as we would in Correct. any other time. So we're not we, – it doesn't matter if we're in a genuine recovery or not. We're just obeying the rules and the rules will look after us. That's right. That's exactly right. Because yeah. if it is a, a true recovery and we're wrong – then we're in. We're in the market and we're going to get the advantage of that. If it's not and it turns back down again, then we sell and we might lose 10 or 20%, um, but that's okay We because we, when it does turn back up, genuinely, we will be in because we've obeyed the rules that time as well and mm. we will get all of the growth associated with the recovery. Correct. Yep, that's a, that's a neat summary. So we just we, we play by the rules. We play by the rules. But because we're putting out a podcast, we need content, so we also make forecasts. <laughs> well, <laughs> which are crap. No, but you, but you're human, and you've been around a long time, so you, you do have an idea based on your experience mm. of what's going to happen. Correct. But as you've said over and over again, you're not a prophet. Uh, you're not a you're, yet. You're not a uh, religious icon yet. Although I am working on that because of some great tax benefits. Quite frankly, if we can turn this into a religion. Uh, <laughs> can, can someone lay some hands on my back? That would be <laughs> yeah. terrific. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. You're not that kind of a religious. Like you don't have the healing power yet. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're human, so you have your ideas about where it's going to go. But the great thing about the mm. system is it doesn't matter if you're right or you're wrong because we, we play by the rules. Correct, yes. Well, just taking a break from how to trade during recessions and corrections for a few minutes, one of the really interesting ideas that Tony and his wife Jenny uh, came up with this year was the real cost of sending kids to private school, giving them a private school education, when you compare what you could produce if you invested that same amount of money wisely. Here's Tony talking about it in episode 318. You sent me an email the other day saying, mm -hmm. uh, I've figured out the real cost of sending your kids to private school or something like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so the background of it is uh, Jenny, my wife, has been reading the Scott Pape book, The Barefoot Investor, and he had a sequel called Barefoot Investor for Families, which was about teaching your kids the value of money. And he put a table in that Wait, book. Wait, can I, I just – I got to interrupt. Is Jenny reading that because she's a little bit concerned about your financial future and she thinks uh, <laughs> you guys need to start thinking a little bit more seriously about uh, you know setting something up for Alex? Well, just between you and I, I'm trying to co-opt her into the uh, the podcast somehow. So right. she's taking it. She's taking an interest. Well, I think I said to you once before we we started to write a book um, on investing for people who weren't uh, investors, and that's how the financial ladder concept came about, which we've used in our QAV getting started booklet. Yeah, and mentioned. Yeah. So um, now that she's not working, she's taking an, an interest in what I'm doing and started to read those because I, I think she was prompted by either Paul or Cam at the dinner we had here one uh, at the uh, Silly Tarts that night. And I, one of them said, why don't we do a, a, a recording about how to get kids started in investing? Mm. Mm. So Jenny took that one to heart. She read the Barefoot Investor books. 
Anyway, she, she, it's good because I don't have to read them. She, she's just been giving me highlighted sections of them. Uh, and uh, one of them was a table which Scott Pape used to motivate kids to get a part-time job. And in the table, he basically said, if you get a part-time job and you can save $5,000 per year and put that into an index fund and you do that for... 10 years, so between the ages of 15 and 25, he used it. He used this as his example. He uh, he said, if you invest that uh, until you're 60, then I forget what the number was. Was it uh, oh, millions of dollars anyway? Well, $2.8 million, I think the number was, would be in your, in your retirement savings account. And he compared that to a person who didn't do that but uh, started foot saving $5,000 a year when they started working uh, from the age of 25 every year until they turned 60, and that person would have less in their retirement savings account than the person who started early and stopped after 10 years, so no more contributions after 10 years. Hmm. And I thought that was quite a powerful table. And then I got to thinking about something I briefly sketched out decades ago when my daughter started going to school. And I thought, uh, why don't I take the school, the private school fees, because she went to a private school, and invest them in the market? And I remember at that stage I worked out that she could retire at 40 uh, if I did that, um, but but uh, never really acted on it. She still went to a private school. So I took uh, Scott Pape's table and plugged in school fee numbers and what it would be like if you invested, you know, ten or probably $20,000 a year over over the uh, school, the 12 years of schooling and, uh, you know, from the age of six for, for my child and what they'd be worth at 60. And uh, do you recall what the number was, Cam? Uh, look, I know it was a couple of billion dollars. That's right. The, uh, if, you did, if, you did, if you used an index fund, it was like $64 million from memory. But if you'd use the QAV method, it was like $1.5 billion. And that was for a Catholic school, which is less than for a, an independent school, which was more like $3 billion. So uh, it was a good table to to show the power of compound uh, investing. Wow! So instead of sending your private your kid to private school, you invest that those school fees for that twelve mm-hmm. years. Yep. Um, then at when they are sixty, is what what that fund will be worth? Uh, no, it was just. Uh, Good question. Yes, it would be when they are 60, yeah. Right. So they yeah. don't get all the benefits of a private school education, which is, uh, as I understand it, being sexually molested uh, by the old boys, uh, by the priests, and <laughs> what are the other advantages? I'm not sure. Uh, something something. <laughs> Networks, Cam, networks. Uh, networks, yes, yes. Yeah. The uh, I was sexually molested by the old boys as well network <laughs> group. And then uh, they they come out the other – so they have a regular life and they come out the other end uh, very wealthy. That's right, yeah. Just in time to well, die though. But they have something well, to leave they, their kids. Well, they could always uh, take a bit out, buy a house or retire when they're 40, keep some invested, live off the other. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think that's powerful. Um just shows you the like the the real cost of something like that. And you can apply that to lots of other things as well, right? I mean, I know the real cost of drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, yes, that's all right. those sorts Buying of things. A car. Yeah. 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 All sorts of things, yeah. No, absolutely. We don't really well, I mean, I didn't. Anyway, we don't get raised thinking about money in those terms, like the the future value of that money if we did something different with it. 
No, when we should. That's that's probably the first thing to teach kids, really. Yeah. Yeah. Although I, I think the problem, like I find this with Hunter and Taylor, uh, you know, I think the at their age, 19, the idea of investing for 20, 30, 40 years and having something at the end just seems so remote to them. Like that, that just seems mm. like a billion years. It's like the death mm. of the sun away from them, from where they mm. are right now, right? Yeah, it is, and that's, and that's. I don't know how to how to teach that to kids that it's not the death of the sun that they'll get to it one day, uh, or, or you know they tap into it and buy a house or whatever along the way. But uh, yeah, that's that's the trick because I know when I was their age, I, all the money just went into having fun. Yeah, but the I, old George, is it the George C. Scott uh, quote about what did I do with the what did I do with the loot? Uh, I, some of it was spent on women, some of it was spent on booze, and the rest I just wasted. <laughs> <laughs> In episode three forty four that we recorded at the beginning of October twenty twenty, Tony had some really insightful things to say about the difference between volatility and risk that really made an impression on me. And I want to really just highlight the fact that I don't fear volatility, you know, and, and to also highlight the fact that volatility doesn't equal risk. And that's, that's one, of the f- one of the fundamental mistakes that people have made, particularly academics over the years, is to say that volatility equals risk. And they look at things like there are some academics who, you know, use ratios to, to quote what the risk is on a portfolio. One of them is called the Sharp Ratio and one of them is called VAR, um, Volume at Risk. But they're really reporting on volatility rather than risk. And just to clarify that, if a stock is highly volatile, it means it goes up and down a lot. It could be the safest stock in the world. It just could be, for example, thinly traded. That um, They are very different things, but traditionally, particularly bankers and some fund managers and academics, use that volatility to try and measure the risk of a portfolio. And they're two very different things. And and that's to, if, if people want to find out more about that, I'd, I'd recommend a book uh, that was written after um, a fund called the Long-Term Capital, LT, LTCM, Long-Term Capital Management, blew up in, uh, I think it was 1998, when uh, there was a, um, a meltdown in some of the emerging markets. And just trying to think what that book was called now. Um, I'll just do a quick... Look for it. It was when called When Genius Failed. When Genius Failed by our old friend Roger Lowenstein, who wrote Making of an American Capitalist, the, the Buffett biography. Yeah, and and what those guys did at LTCM is that they aggressively said, we can take out portfolio insurance. And in other words, they, they used, um, one of them was, I think, Myron Scholes, who, you know, I think got a Nobel Prize in economics for, for um coming up with a formula to value options, but he also uh, came up with a way of valuing the risk in a portfolio, which then the fund managers of LTCM would use to uh, take out insurance against their portfolio. But of course, he wasn't valuing risk, he was valuing volatility. And when things became really volatile, the insurance failed and and the fund imploded. And so I think that's, it's a long winded answer, Cam, but there's a lot, a lot, lot, lot written about 
volatility and risk. And I think we have to really divorce our thinking from both of those. We want to avoid risk and we want to embrace volatility. Wow. And, and yeah, well, if we don't have volatility, if we don't, if we don't disconnect from the market, then we're never going to regress to the mean. We're never going to buy things cheaply. We're never going to sell them at a profit. It, we're just going to get market returns. So volatility, I think, tends to have a negative connotation to it. It does. We think volatile means bad. If someone is volatile, they're, they're difficult to be around. We think if <laughs> stocks are volatile, they're risky. But I guess, yeah, what you're saying makes sense. If, we, if we're trying to buy stocks that are undervalued and we want them to catch up to their realistic value, their intrinsic value, or surpass even their intrinsic value, what we calculate might be their intrinsic value, they are by definition volatile. Correct. Yes. We're looking. We're looking for volatile stocks. Correct. Yes. If and this goes back to the efficient market theory. If the market was completely efficient, which some academics say it is, we wouldn't have a chance to make yeah. out outperform or outperform the market and make outsized profits. Hmm. But you know, I've been doing it for decades. So, uh, and volatility is part of that process. Um, yeah. So uh, it is part of having a smaller portfolio. If you think about it, if you held one stock. It's going to be more. It's going to be uh, quite volatile. Like some days it could be up a couple of percent, some days down a couple of percent, some days up ten percent. Yeah. Um, the market very rarely does that. It normally goes up sort of in the half to one percent range. Um, and as we get more stocks, you know, as we go from along the spectrum from holding one stock to holding two and a half thousand stocks, when we're down to two and a half thousand stock, and we're going to have a one to one correlation of volatility with the market. So yeah. yes, having a smaller a smaller portfolio is inherently more more volatile, but that's something that we like. And we're, we are specifically looking for volatile stocks, but we want the volatile in a good way. We want Correct. it to be yes. volatile, yes. Up, upwards, vol, uh, upward Correct. volatility. That's right, exactly. Upwardly mobile and upward volatile. Yeah. Uh, up, <laughs> up, upwardly vo- 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 votile, is that a word? Vo- 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 volatile. Uh, volatile, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> upwardly volatile. That's yes. the uh, that's the name of this episode. Uh, upwardly volatile. <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't know. I thought Make Tony Great Again was a good good name. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had Kaga Hat and Make Tony oh, Great keep, Again. Keep keep Tony Great Again, isn't that the Isn't that Trump's, keep, keep America Great? Keep Tony <laughs> well, Great. Make. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll, just one more thing to say about that. There is a caveat around that that whole conversation we've just had, and that is if you have a deadline in your financial plan, then volatility isn't your friend. So what I mean by that is, an example is, (laughs) say you're investing in the market now so that you can sell your portfolio next year and use it for a deposit on a house. That's when volatility isn't your friend because we don't know if your portfolio is going to be worth more next year, less next year, half what it was next year. And if you need the money at a certain date, you shouldn't be investing in the stock market. Yeah. And it's the same thing for people who are getting close to retirement. If they plan to, to stop investing this way, if they really need to have a certain fixed amount and then they're going to you know, exit the market and maybe buy a bond and live off the interest coupon for the rest of their lives, again, volatility isn't your friend because you, your portfolio could be worth much less or much more than what you think it would be at a certain date and time. Yeah. But otherwise, volatility is our friend. Yeah. 
Well, there you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed uh, sort of reminiscing about some of those highlights. I mean, there's so many episodes, uh, so much talking I could have covered, but really I thought the, the, the main theme, I guess, of the show in 2020 is how we handled the market correction and the recession and then the uh, QE-driven rebound uh, from an investment perspective, uh, just taking it day at a time, following the rules. I thought those were the most important lessons for me anyway to come out of the show this year. Plus some of those things at the end about the, the nature of compounding and the nature of volatility and risk. I hope you enjoyed that. hope you have a good week. Uh, for those of you in Melbourne, have a great event with Tony on Saturday. I'm sorry I can't be there. It's the second time I've had to pull out of a Melbourne event. But fortunately, at least at this stage, it's going ahead. I'm sure you'll have a great time with Tony. Uh, for everyone else, stay safe. Good luck with your investing. And uh, Tony and I will be back next week with the first real episode of uh, 2021. Keep sending me your questions, drop them into the Facebook group or shoot me an email, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.